You're listening to episode four of the Inconvenience Podcast featuring Anthony Carini. Welcome to episode four of the Inconvenience Podcast. I'm Frank Beard. And I'm Al Bear. And this is an episode that we've been wanting to record, well, since we came up with the idea of this podcast. Absolutely. This this guy is incredibly personable and really, really an out-of-the-box out of thinker. Yeah, so uh, Anthony Perini is our guest today. He is the owner and operator of Lou Perini's Gas and Grocery in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, it's a really successful independent retailer but one of the most also interesting people in the entire industry, um, famous for their social media accounts, their uh, kind of hilarious antics. We didn't even get into the fact that they got their customers to some of their customers to tattoo a logo on their arm for some free stuff. Oh, gosh, what a great idea. I love that. And that's the thing. It's like there's, there's so much interesting things to talk about with Anthony. We even we totally even forgot to bring that up and we went for almost two hours. So. Uh, that I think shows you why this is going to be an interesting episode. Um, couple housekeeping things real quick. In case you didn't know, we are on iTunes. We are on Spotify, uh, Stitcher, really anywhere that you could listen to a podcast. So, um, if you like listening to music on those platforms, feel free to subscribe to the inconvenience podcast. It'll download episodes automatically. And if you're so inclined, feel free to give us a nice, nice rating or review. We certainly appreciate that. We love nice ratings and reviews. One thing with this episode, we are still uh, figuring out our podcast system. So we ran into a couple audio quality issues. Our initial, service we used uh, for call and guest had a bug. So we went to our backup and uh, I think Al forgot to turn on his mic at one point. So I did. So you'll hear him for half the episode on the computer mic and then the other on the good mic. But um, I I don't think it'll make much of a difference. This is this is a good episode. We had a lot of fun recording it and it's episode four. We'll get the production process down. And I feel like we're really kind of hitting our stride with this one. This is uh Look, if you own a C-Store, uh, you're going to get some good ideas from this guy. You're going to learn a lot, and and I think you'll have some fun with this as well. Yeah, this went into some really practical concerns around uh, store operations, thinking outside the box, uh, attracting and retaining good employees, and just what's really worked for somebody in his market. So I, I think everyone's going to enjoy this episode. And I will say, uh, you know, it's a podcast, we have to say this. Uh, if you're listening at work, this is probably the episode you want to put your headphones on for. Um, yeah. You might get a couple weird looks if people come in at the wrong moment and hear what we're talking about. Um, you'll understand why when you get into it, we go to some topics that um, you'll just want to put your headphones on for. Yeah, I mean, I, I would guess they're uh, uh, maybe PG-17. <laughs> but this is a fun episode. Hope you enjoy. And again, feel free to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Listen and have fun.
All right, so I've got to I've got to ask about the ho ho cake bandit. I think this is one of the funniest sayings I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a guy going around your community wearing one of the shirts from your store, and I think he robbed a Quality Inn or some hotel chain. And then so this is caught on video, and bam, here's a ho ho cake logo on his shirt. Um, but you kind of turned this around to a positive for your brand. How did what happened, and how did you do this? Yeah, so it was about a year and a half ago. Um, I, my phone blew up and woke me up at like five in the morning with all these phone calls that one of my employees robbed a local hotel in Racine, which is the city right next to where we are. And they said, look at all this, look at all this. It was all over the news. Um, and it was all over social media that somebody robbed a hotel wearing our, our, one of our sweatshirts. And on the back of our sweatshirts, we have a bunch of different things. Uh, I love ho-ho cake. I love my gas station, all these different ones. Well, this guy happened to wear a shirt that said, I love ho-ho cake. And so although it was a serious story, the news anchors couldn't help but make jokes like, what's a ho-ho cake? What's a ho-ho cake? Or, you know, I love being a ho-ho or, you know, whatever they were referencing being a ho. And so as I started watching these, all this, this news coverage about this situation and seeing it unfold on social media, my parents kind of freaked out and was like, Oh my God, what are we going to do? And it's, it's bad for us and the brand. And I said, well, let me try and spin this. And so what I did is I saw all the different news stations that were covering this story. And I quickly went to Twitter and I followed all the news anchors. And I started sending them like funny things about what a ho-ho cake is. I started sending them our logo, pictures of the cake. I started making jokes like, what would you do for a ho-ho? Um, then the Racine Police Department posted on their social media page, do you know this person? And so I commented and said, uh, just so you guys know, this person doesn't have anything to do with us. We sell tons of these shirts and sweatshirts. We sell swag all day long. I said, but... I'll offer free cake for a year to anybody to help turn this guy in because we wanted to catch him. And that kind of went viral and everybody in the community started sharing that. And all these news anchors thought it was so funny that, you know, what the whole ho cake was and how we were trying to, to spin it. And I started calling them the whole ho cake bandit, which the news stations picked up on and started using that terminology. Well, the next thing you know, Every news station in Milwaukee, Fox, NBC, CBS, whatever, was calling me for interviews. So I think we did two or three interviews in the store of what a ho-ho cake was, that telling about the, the, the reward, and people started sharing it, and it kind of went like viral in the community, and then basically all the way up to Milwaukee, um, which then led to uh, WGN, which is a national news station out of Chicago, it just so happened that one of my regular morning customers produces their morning uh, news station, new, their news show or whatever you want to call it. So he said, hey, I'm going to go on air. Can I get a cake and a sweatshirt? So I sent him with the exact same sweatshirt that this guy was wearing that he stole um, or robbed the hotel with and sent him with a cake. And so we hit WGN. And so basically it it, it made our little proprietary cake go viral and next thing you know i've got um customers coming up from chicago wanting to buy the cake people calling about the cake and then they saw that we have this delivery service can you deliver it here um and then it led to me getting it into some restaurants in kenosha and so it just kind of took a 
what could have been a negative story really it didn't it had nothing to do with us but you know when your brand's out there you might as well try and spin it to the best of your ability and that's what i tried to do and kind of got lucky and it was the right time and the right place and we just made it work then people that know me because they know i do some you know some crazy antics they thought like i paid somebody to do it or had something to do with it and i i didn't just for the record i do not know the guy he's still not caught couldn't tell you who he is um but it, it turned into probably one of the best pr stunts we've tried to do um you know, as just a little single store operator in the middle of nowhere in Kenosha. So um, that's kind of the story of the whole whole cake bandit. And um, yeah. So so essentially, Anthony, crime does pay for you, correct? <laughs> yeah, I, I'll find a way to spin anything, really. So it did work. Like, and honestly, I, I told I said I might even <laughs> bail the guy out of jail and just uh, absolutely <laughs> just yeah. thank him when it's all said and done with. So, Anthony, have you been in touch with John Walsh and America's Most Wanted to see if he's going to go after this guy? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think the $300 that the guy stole from the hotel is uh, unsolved murder mysteries or it's not going to be a Netflix special anytime soon. But uh, but jo- John Walsh has got to want those ho-ho cakes, man. That's yeah, what I would do. Man, if you were no. here, we, we would go after him with a vengeance for a year's worth of ho-ho cakes. I mean, I would, I would give anything <laughs> for that. Yeah, the uh, you know what would you do for a ho ho cake? I guess we'll steal Klondike bar. Would you rob a hotel? <laughs> Some people would. So, yeah, I tell you what, I think we're going to have to do a trade of merch. We'll get you an inconvenience podcast hoodie, um, but I don't know if I'd want one of the hoodies or a piece of the ho- the ho ho cake. I know my wife's going to try to get the ho ho cake. Um, she follows you on Twitter and is always just saying, "We've got to get some of that." <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have no problem. I will definitely. Are you going to the State of the Union or State of the Industry? Because I can bring some. It's nice and easy for me to travel with that. That's right in my backyard in Chicago. So no, I'm unfortunately not going to be at that one. But I, you know, I was just looking at the Google Maps the other day again. I'm like, wait, Kenosha is so close to Chicago. I I might just come out soon. I'm going to be flying back from Germany and probably have an extra day. So I might zip up and get some of that before I come home. Well, yeah, stop by. I'll show you around K Town. So the question we got asked was like, what exactly is ho-ho cake and where did this even come from? So it's, uh, okay, so I grew up obviously in the gas station business and, and I grew up in a playpen in the back of stores that my dad had. And um, after uh, after school, we'd have to go to the gas station. Well, you need snacks. And I was a very, very large child and loved, uh, me and my brother both loved ho-hos, like, you know, whatever, the, the little snack cake things. Well, for my ninth birthday, my mom made a cake for our, my birthday party, and she just called it ho-ho cake. And in in full transparency, you can get a recipe for a ho-ho cake online, and it, you know it's, it's something that existed before we created it and um, made this brand around it. However, my mom did her own little thing to it, and, and basically it's a chocolate cake um, with a creamy, uh, white filling. Um, and then there's a chocolate fudge topping on top of it. That's the original. I mean, it's a pretty simple cake. There's secret ingredients that go into the white part of the cake, um, or the white part of the frosting. And then obviously when you make a chocolate cake, my mom's got her own way of doing that. And, uh, so essentially dummy down it's a, what you would get a whole cake or a Swiss roll in a cake form. Um, we added our own kind of proprietary blend to it. And then we 
uh, launched other flavors. So we have a original, what I call the OG. Uh, we've got a really Reese's and outrageous Oreo. We've got a Heath caramel. Uh, we turned it into a brownie form. We've got a caramel Nutella brownie. Uh, oh yeah. That sounds all- good. Yeah. And, and the caramel Nutella for me is the best with some ice cream. Um, it's, it's killer. And then we do, we do a seasonal one. We come out with some non-chocolate ones. Like right now we got a simply strawberry. Uh, we've done everything from unicorn cakes to, um, gender reveal cakes where, you know, they don't know till they cut the cake. It's blue or pink. We've had an area 51 cake. I <gasps> we, love we, that. Yeah. So we try to coincide with whatever, you know, whether it's something culturally relevant at the time, um, and or just a flavor like a seasonal flavor uh we do like a santa special which is kind of a peppermint style we do uh, a shamrock one around saint patty's day with like andy's mints and you know that kind of deal so it's um started as something kind of just small and tried it out with just the original and we started getting other flavors and then once that uh, whole whole cake bandit struck it really kind of took off and now we've got, um, you know, last year alone, just out of one little cooler in our store, we did about $100,000 in sales of just cakes alone. Wow. Um, That's incredible. And so we've got, it was just my mom doing the cakes at first, and she had the recipe and I had the recipe. Um, I guess I should backtrack. So she created this, this cake for my birthday, okay? And it was a huge hit. And PTA parents wanted her to make it. Teachers were asking her to make it. And she would only make it for families, for birthdays, and for holidays. Then a few years ago, um, we had the idea. I convinced her, let's just try making it for the store. See what it does. And it, it went it went okay. And But it was branded under Luperini's. And then I created this whole brand of, well, we're going to call it Mama Peas. And we actually trademarked the name Mama Peas, Ho Ho Cake. Um, and ba- built the, the story and the brand behind the story of how we wanted this or how this cake came about, but then really based around my mom. And cool. so then once the whole, whole bandit hit, it kind of took off and we're partnering with it. So we've got it in four different restaurants in Kenosha. Um, ideally the long-term play here is to hopefully eventually be able to mass produce and get it into grocery stores. Um, we have, we're doing, um, we have partnered with local restaurants that one was a bakery or one was like a donut shop and they did a whole ho donut. Um, we've got a restaurant now starting in February that's going to do, they do shakes. And so wow. kind of like um, uh, Portillo's cake and a shake. They're doing a whole ho version of that with our cake and just kind of letting it roll and see what, what we can do with it and what transpires out of it. And so, yeah, that's, it started with just uh, a fat kid that liked uh, sweets and turned into a family recipe. And then now we're selling it in store. Wow. Love that story. Yeah. I like the idea of using that for a gender reveal party. Um, over here in Iowa, we have been a few bit extreme with ours. Someone inadvertently made a pipe bomb at one recently and it didn't end very well. <laughs> So well, that's, I think that's whole, festive, Frank. Uh, that's very festive. Oh, it's incredibly festive. You might lose a few family members <laughs> if you go that route, though. So I yeah. think a ho-ho cake is a much safer route. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You, you gain a baby and lose an uncle, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. A ho-ho cake is much more festive than a pipe bomb. Yeah, oh, it's a much better idea. So. <laughs> so, and, uh, 
you know, I'm, so yeah. And now we're, we're building a, uh, I'm in the process of working on a second location and the kind of the, one of the draws for the second location is I've created a restaurant dessert style restaurant based around the whole whole cake. So it's oh, kind of wow. like, Oh, that's it's cool. going to be like a cold stone where you get ice cream and stuff, except with cake. So you can put gummy bears on your cake. You can make your cake how you want it and that kind of deal. So hopefully in the next year or so we'll have that up and running. So a terrific idea. Do you, do you find that this is a pretty strong trip driver for your customers? Like, are they coming because of the ho ho cake, or are they just seeing it and thinking, "Oh man, I can't say no to that. I got to get one of these." Yeah, we have. Um, I have seen definitely people coming as a destination because we sell them by the slice and then full cakes. So especially holiday times or weekends where people have birthday parties and stuff, people are coming to buy the cake, um, and people come just to 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 get a cake. And I kind of equated to. Um, Family Express in Indiana, I think, has their square donuts. They're known for that. And Quick Trip's known for their bakery items. And Luperini's is known to have uh, Mama P's ho-ho cake. See, and this is what I really like about your store. Um, I think a problem in our industry is so many independent operators, their stores themselves are almost commodities. Same CPGs, same everything. Um, there's really no reason to visit other than impulse or necessity, but everything about your store is different, quirky, unique, even down to signature products that you can't find anywhere else. Yep. And that's, that's the, the direction I, I took that. And, and, and to be honest, it was pretty much in the middle of the great recession. Um, we had had some other business interests and stuff. And then they, we, we, to be honest, lost our ass on them. And it was kind of one of these things where, okay, right now we have to almost start fresh, start over. Um, we can't rely on just general traffic flow. What are the things we can do to become a a destination? What can we do to um, offer that, that other places aren't? So, you know, your, your typical gas station with smokes and Cokes and uh, Snicker bars, that's great. Everybody and their mom has that, but what can we do that they don't have? How can we compete with the, you know, the 800 pound gorilla in our state, which is quick trip, you know, and what everything they're known for. So, um, when I re I, we've always been Luperini's, we're completely unbranded. We have no ties to big oil. We buy the cheapest on the market. And so basically out of necessity, we had a kind of redevelop a, a, a business model to say, um, how can we survive as a single store operator in a, in a industry full of big players and, and big money and big marketing money? And so I went the direction of playing into our strengths of we've been here 60 something years. We've got a story. We're in a town where people are still around driving gas or driving cars where my grandpa pumped their gas 60 years ago. My dad pumped their gas. My mom pumped their gas. And so I rebranded Lou Perini's and, and, tried to tell a story about my family and where our logo is basically a cartoon version of my grandpa. Um, and we rebranded the whole store and got into private label markets. Like we have our own root beer and there's a story behind that because my grandpa used to brew his own root beer. Oh, wow. So we partnered with Sprager root beer and we sell um, grandpa Lou's root beer and we have, we're in Wisconsin and we got a company to private label cheese curds. And then we got into the bottled water game. And so we try to private label ourselves and to make our brand something people are um, proud of and, and willing to, um, willing to, to, to say, Hey, 
I'm going to wear a shirt. I'm going to buy a t-shirt because I'm from Kenosha and I love Lou Perini's or because my city is represented. Kenosha is a cool little city where it's a big city, hundred plus thousand people, but it's still that small town feel where people are willing to say, Hey, there's a couple businesses that represent our city and Lou Perini's is one of them. And so I come here all the time. I love the brand, the logo, the things. So I'll buy a shirt or I'll buy a hat um, or I love the ho-ho cake and I want to wear a hat that says that, you know, things like that. I'll put a sticker on my car that says I love ho-ho cake or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and so really we, we tried to differentiate ourselves as best as possible Um not quite frankly, based out of necessity to drive traffic. And well, to- I think at the end of the day, you just make retail fun. And I, I, yeah. I always say this, but I think people forget how much fun retail can really be, even if it's at a convenience store, almost especially if it's at a convenience store. Yeah. And the, I would say that there was, I, I believe there was kind of a shift in the 2000s there, especially you kind of see it with craft breweries coming out where, People like my, our generation, Frank, became less concerned about, I want Campbell's soup and I want that mom and pa soup that's in the grocery aisle at certain grocery stores because it's local, it's organic, it's um, things along that line. And so I, I think that that gave an opportunity for guys like me to say, hey, what can I do differently? A gas station is a gas station when it's all said and done with. How can we get the right talent in there? What kind of music are we going to play? What services are we going to offer? How can we market ourselves and, quite frankly, like doing what we're doing? You know, that was one of my big things. If you don't love doing what you're doing, especially as a small business owner, as an independent retailer, you're getting bombarded left and right. you got to compete with the big dogs. you got to deal with government regulation. It can just take the fun and suck the life right out of you. And Mm -hmm. so if I'm going to commit my life to this, if I'm going to put my name on the line, I'm going to do it my way. And sometimes that offends people or sometimes that might backfire. But when it's all said and done with, this is my livelihood. This is my brand. This is my business. And I want it to be a certain way and represent me in a certain way. Um, So yeah, that's try to make it fun and enjoy your time while you're there. Now, speaking of putting yourself out there, I think we do want to bring up a couple of the tweets because these are these are hilarious. Now, I do want to get back to differentiating your store and especially talk about Blue Ocean because um, I don't think you get enough credit for how thoughtful and methodical you are about how you run your business. Um, but your social media accounts are hilarious. Like, I, I'm just <laughs> scrolling through this right now. You, on this one from December, there's a pile of Big Lou's rolling papers with a psychedelic Big Lou on it. And it says, this is a wall we can all get behind. It's a big wall of uh, rolling paper boxes. <laughs> or, um, oh, man, I, the one Al and I were laughing about this earlier. Um, I love the one where you got an image of Lindsay Lohan where, uh, all right, on the left, it's like a really nice photo, maybe like a headshot photo on the right. She looks like she just came down off like a week long bender and looks like <laughs> rough, um, strung out. And in the middle of this, it says pizza rolls. On the nice photo, it says oven. And on the other photo, it says microwave. I laughed so hard when I saw it. Oh, yeah, that's great. I'm looking at it now. I mean, God, it's so funny. Oh, man. And that is true. It's true. 
what has been the response from your from your from your social media? I I think it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Yeah, overall, our social media has gotten us quite a bit of attention. People talk about it, they share it, they kind of <laughs> wait to see what the next crazy thing I'm going to do or say or post is. I'll be honest, it has backfired at some moments because, <laughs> especially in today's PC culture and oversensitive, everybody's you know everybody's offended. Um, there are things where I've offended people and I've either had to apologize. Good for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like one of those things where, Hey, I'm not going to take the post down. I apologize that I offended you. It's all in fun and games. I'm not, you know, there's a, I am a very, um, I guess you could say free thinking person. So nothing really offends me. I'm a big kind of free speech kind of person. And so, I sometimes have to tame myself from what I would think would be hilarious and what would gain likes and views and shares, but will offend a massive amount of people at the same time. And so overall, I mean, I was at Max and people came up to me from all over the, I don't even know them. They'd say, Oh, we follow you on social media. You're the whole, okay guy. You're the gas station guy. And to me, that was cool. Um, and people in Kenosha, I'll walk around and people say, hey, that's the Lou Perini guy or whatever the case may be. Um, and then there's times when people will be like, hey, I just don't like you because of what you post. But that's okay. Because um, the way I look at it is, is if you're saying my name, good or bad, they're going to remember my brand. And so I can spin it somehow, some way, because everything that I do post or say or some of the stuff I don't even create. That's the beauty of social media. I can see something somebody else posted and take a meme and, you know, it, it pertains to my business. I can run with it and took me no time. It's uh, copy, paste, share, whatever the case may be. Um, but the, the thing that I think we really, the, the Facebook lives kind of help because they, it's completely unscripted. It's live, it's, you know, whatever. And those are the ones that usually get the most, the most traction or, you know, get the most legs out of things. And so, uh, but yeah, I have, I took an approach where I did traditional marketing for a long time. And then once I got into social media and at first it was boring and it was weird and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I mean, basically, and, and how honestly, I operate two Facebook pages because when I first opened the, the social media account, I didn't know you opened it as a business account. I opened it at a, as a personal account. So then I realized, well, I got 5,000 people. I can't add any more people. Then I started a business account. And so, you know, I made a lot of mistakes along the way and you can't pay to promote a personal account. But at the same time with, when you have a personal account that gains a lot of traction, I was able to kind of outdo the algorithm on Facebook at the time where people were, I was gaining more and more traction because I didn't have to pay to go to the top of people's feeds and stuff like that. And so it was all organic it really everything we did social media based was organic and i decided uh for 2019 that i was gonna 95 percent of my marketing was all going to be organic and social media based i wanted to just try something and say okay if i eliminated traditional forms of marketing uh your magazine your local publications your newspapers your billboards stuff like that and we've done it all like, I love advertising. I love marketing. It's like my thing. Um, but I tried to just do social media, A, to cut costs, but B, to just see how good I, you know, how I could build the brand uh, without spending 
a massive amount of money on advertising. And so that was 2019's plan and it worked well. I think I spent a 10th of what I normally spend for the whole year. And, um, you know, we, we saw a massive increase into our business page and stuff like that. And, um, just getting more and more of a presence on social media is that was kind of the, the plan or the approach to that, um, for no, 2019. I think, I think what really impresses me about your social media though, is there, there, there are some accounts where all they do is share memes and, 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 that, and that's funny. Like I enjoy following that, but like I was looking through yours on Facebook again, I, I follow you mostly on Twitter, but on Facebook, I was looking through your posts the other night and it struck me, I bet, I bet 80% of those are actually promoting a product. Now they're dressed up in something silly. It may be, I think you had an elf on the shelf. You called uh, Lil Lou, you know, for December yeah. or something <laughs> like that. Um, but it'll be something funny with like Lil Lou, uh, but it's actually promoting come buy something at our store. Um, you know, I, I feel like when a lot of the uh, C-Store brands got into doing corporate social media a little while back, they'd all do things like, we're promoting fountain drinks, which no one cares about because we, we all know they're cheap. They're, they're cheap everywhere. Um, you know, they were just sharing stuff that no one really wanted to see on Twitter or Facebook or any of that. But you found a way to dress up actual promotions of your products with humor instead of just sharing memes. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big difference. Yeah. And I, and that was what, you know, I, I want to, because yes, I was sick and tired of just, you know, you see the same stuff over and over. I'm trying not to swear. So I'm doing my best here. You see the same stuff over and over again. And like you said, everybody's got 89 cent, 99 cent fountain drinks. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. No one's going to remember it. Um, but if you, uh, throw a, a little cartoon character in there or if you dress it up everybody you know a lot of gas stations sell produce now well we had a kid that took our the apples and the banana and made it look like a banana and two apples if you know what i'm saying and to me <laughs> absolutely i used to work in a hospital i know exactly what you're saying yeah to me that's a great post right there and it's something that can be promote my business and grab people's eyes at the same time and so um everything you know it's great to just build brand awareness or whatever, but ultimately when you're trying to market, I, I need to draw sales. I need to have people have a reason to come to my place and shop and, you know, let them know the things we carry. And so I, I try to do it in different unique ways all the way down to condoms and sex pills, you know? Well, <laughs> I mean, and and I, here we go. That brings me to my next question, which was going to be, I could swear I saw little Lou, uh, in bed with Barbie and uh, a, a lot of condoms. And uh, <laughs> I, I would imagine that Little Lou has really helped you with your condom sales, right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's one of the posts where it was a learning lesson because I got a lot of attention and eyes on it. And I also offended a certain age demographic. No, you're, <laughs> no I, don't, I don't believe anyone would be offended by that. I, I just cannot believe that. No. Tell yeah. us more. Tell me more. So, so I like to find those kind of, another thing I try to do is, okay, besides just general, okay, it's Christmas, it's Easter, it's New Year's, whatever. Um, I like to find, there's a lot of wacky holidays that are actually like legitimate holidays by the terms of the U.S. government. Like one that I had no idea was like recognized throughout the world, not so much America, was National Orgasm Day. <laughs> so I saw that and it's like right before Christmas and the whole purpose of the day is not like some dirty <laughs> sexual 
day. If you look it up, not. it's actually, it was, it was, I think it started in like England or Europe where you're supposed to make love. And when you're done and you have an orgasm, it's like releasing positive energy. So you're supposed to release positive vibes into the world. Wow. Well, I figured, okay, it's Christmas time. So I threw our little Lou in a little bed with uh, two Barbies and some sex pills and condoms <laughs> and said, little Lou's celebrating uh, National Orgasm Day. I uh, hope you do too. Something along Good for lines. him and, and good for you as well. Yeah. Uh. And so <laughs> um, that that was the last thing that we did that really kind of went viral. And um, I, when I say viral, I mean in my community viral, not like viral, viral. Um, but I had some elderly people who were oh, offended and i had on. some um i had a couple christian groups who got up in arms and the thing stunned. is the beauty I'm stunned. yeah and i i operate i look to wendy's and how they operate on twitter and that's how i try to respond unless i am really in the wrong and so we push back playfully but then my fans which Social media has allowed me to create actual fans where these people, I, I mean, I can't control what they say, but they do the arguing for me and then they blast people for me. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, that's popping everybody's feed because there's a hundred some comments. And so I'm getting all this attention. I'm not saying anything negative towards the person. I'm just being playful. Uh, but then people are like, oh, you need an orgasm yourself. You're too, you know, you're too wound up right now. It's not that serious. <laughs> and my response was, listen. Here's a guy who's, you know, he's a he's celebrating a holiday. It's in, he's got a, there's an interracial Barbie here. He's using protection. What else you want? He's not, he's doing the best he can. He's having a good time. It is what it is. It's not that offensive. And, but so, it got to, to the point where on Christmas Eve, a lady had a scheduled meeting with me and I, I took it and I wanted to say, Hey, you know what? I get where you're coming from. It's not that serious. I promise you I'm not some pervert and, you know, all these things. It's just fun, playful. Um, did I take it too far? I don't think I took it too far. I think I used the wrong social media channel um, because I have learned, it's one of my failures or things that I've learned, is that it has become now where each social media has a certain demographic to it. You 100%. know, Facebook has become yeah. older. Instagram is still younger um, and Twitter is, you know, to go to place to argue or to offend, you know, it's just, there's certain demographics. And so putting it to the Facebook page, it worked. I'm not, I, I never, t I told the lady, listen, I'm not going to take the post down. I says, I will take down all the mean things people said to you <laughs> that I'll do. I'm not going to take my post down, but I don't control what my fans say. It's free speech. It's a free world. People can say what they want. I, can't help it people like what i do um and i smoothed it over with her everything was fine gave her a piece of cake for christmas and said uh, that makes all the difference christmas. in the world yeah, yeah. you know exactly and, and i think there's a couple things to unpack from this too it's like you know one um i think and i think you would agree i mean you and i are the same age i believe right yeah yeah, yeah I'm i thought so and and so I just think, especially people our age, but people in general, just really crave authenticity. And it's unfortunate that we've come to feel that so many businesses just don't care about us. They don't respond to our complaints. They don't listen when we have something to say. Um, I mean, like I found myself in a situation where I spent a week going back and forth with the post office, for example, because 
Um, had to go there twice to pick up a package that was supposed to be there. They said, we're too busy to go get it. So you just have to come back later. Um, oh, wow. You know, and, and you just realize there's no recourse of action. No one cares about anything. Um, but you seem really thoughtful in the sense that, look, I mean, someone might get offended, but you listen to them, you hear them out, you mean well. Um, but from a consumer perspective, like I look at your social media and it seems real. It seems for better or worse, it's authentic and real. And that's so lacking right now from how companies interact with us. But at the same time, your store is actually really family friendly. Like I, I saw you had a meet and greet with Santa Claus and kids were doing cookie decorating. It was adorable. Yeah. I mean, and that's something. So it, it is, it, it's a mix of everything and trying to balance it all. So that's why there is this, I call it the, now I run everything kind of by my fiance. If I think I'm going to push boundaries, she's a mom, you know, she's younger, but she is a mom and things like that. So it's like, okay, is this too much? Is it not too much? Because yeah, at the same time, the, the day after the day before I posted national orgasm day, I had 200 kids predominantly lower income kids that can't get to Santa. It's our 10th annual. We do it every year. They come see Santa. It's free pictures, free cookies, cookie decorating, you know, the whole nine. And so we do try to be community centered because ultimately when I rebranded the store, it's the only strength that I have because I am a single store operator. I've got history in the community. We love our community. We donated over 10 to $15,000 to local charities last year. Um, We partner with charities, we partner with the community. um, And so we are a staple of the community. So it's a, it's a learning lesson for me to try and find that balance between, okay, don't go too wild, but at the same time, still be family friendly and stuff. And and hopefully people get that, you know what, it's all in fun and games. It's not that serious. It's not, you know, it's just because for everything that might be a little edgy, they are very, you know, I've donated to every charity that you can imagine. We did free gas with a church. We did all these things. And so it's like, you know, there's, there's a balance there and it's just finding it. But I am, I firmly believe this. And again, I think it's because it's my business and I, I, I left college and never went to the corporate world because, well, Frank, you've talked to me outside of this, Al, you know, I'm not a corporate, you know, I'm not a sheep. I'm not a corporate kind of follow the rules, you know, dress up, do this certain way. I, I, that's not me. And so I don't want my business to be that way. I'm not going to be fake. I'm not going to be a fugazi and be something I'm not. I'm going to be authentic to who I am and what I'm trying to do. And because I agree, I think that there's a, for for a few generations, they're safe and and conservative and, and status quo was, the way things went but it's different now and one of the biggest things that impacted my thinking on this a couple of years ago was i read blue ocean shift um which was a, the marketing book and talks about how to stick out you know in a very competitive market i actually got that book recommended by nax and i read it and i was like it was a naha moment it's like okay i'm gonna commit to this and i'm gonna do this a certain kind of way and i'm gonna um, approach everything we do um because I might not have purchasing power, I might not have locations like the big boys, but I have the freedom and the ability to be authentic and to be quick and nimble in what we do um, without having to run it up a chain because ultimately I'm going to do what I want to do. It's mine. <laughs> yeah. And this is just a quick reminder for any of our listeners that any books that our guests mention, um, any books that they want us to recommend in general, like we put all that on their episode pages, definitely check out the episode page for this if you want to see the you know blue ocean uh, shift. But w- 
just um, just want to mention real quick for anyone that's not familiar with that. So the basic idea with Blue Ocean and is if you consider, okay, an, a feeding frenzy with sharks when the water turns red. A lot of industries are that way where it's kind of a race to the bottom, end up competing on price. Um, and it's just this crowded out field um, that's overly competitive and it's turned into a red ocean. Rather than trying to disrupt, rather than trying to necessarily just differentiate to the same customers – Swim out into a blue, swim out into blue water, swim into a blue ocean, and create an entirely new market. Um, so it's really about value innovation, and they go through a lot of steps to do this. But it's about like fundamentally becoming a different type of business. Um, and I'm actually really curious. So when you looked at this and you first read this, um, what did you think was the blue ocean for you? Um, what was the way that you were going to change? Um, right. The, the big one was in, in terms of how we communicate, market and advertise. Um, that was kind of one is it perfect timing with kind of rebranding and, and telling our story. Um, it was um, uh, offering alternative services, something else besides, oh, I got gas. Come visit me. Come visit me. Please, 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 please. And so um, I was in a situation, I still am, where I am located on a very busy corner. But to the east of me is Lake Michigan, which means there is a lack of homes and homes will never be built on the lake. And so I had to figure out, okay, I started with a, a, a pricing structure. I'm unbranded. I have our offer a cash price and cheaper than everybody. But then big boys came into the market and sold below cost or Costco Sam's Club. Mm -hmm. So that didn't work. Okay. What's the next thing? And so that's what led me to think about, okay, a delivery service, uh, full service again, bringing back the old school way of doing things, but with the new touch, um, trying to create an app and a delivery service all based around that. Um, and the whole whole cake was something else that was like, okay, I have this, nobody else has this. I have this brand. I have to utilize this because it's something that is mine. Everybody sells, uh, everybody sells M&Ms. Everybody sells Snickers. Nobody outside of me sells this cake and it's a damn good cake. So how do I get this out there? You know? So it's kind of just finding those avenues of um, different ways to, if I can't get the customer to come to me, well, I'll come to you, you know, that kind of deal. Um, or if I have something that nobody else has, I need you to, I am going to force you to come my way instead of somewhere else. Um, and so that was, that's kind of how that book really kind of impacted me. And then overall, I would say just general culture of the business. We, I massively changed what our hiring process, what I looked for in people will, you know, make sure that they fit our DNA, make sure that they fit what I'm trying to communicate um, and make sure they um, understand that they're a part of something special here. It's not you work for BP, you work for, uh, you know, Lou Perini's a family owned and operated business. We've been here 65 years. Here's how we communicate. Here's how we do things. Here's how we go above and beyond. Here's the things that we're going to do that people aren't going to do because it's too labor intensive when you're a chain or things like that. And so that book really um, had a very big impact on me in terms of thinking about what I'm going to do to compete moving forward. Yeah, there's a section of it that I, I really like. I just wanted to kind of, you know, read. So I'll not necessarily read from the book, but just, you know, explain so listeners can hear um, if you're unfamiliar with this. They have they have four actions in there about how to create, um, you know, sort of a framework for how to create your blue ocean or find what it is. And I 
I think this makes so much sense. One is start by eliminating things that should be taken for granted. I mean, if you look at a company like Southwest Airlines, um, do they really need an airport lounge? Is that what people yeah. are knocking down their doors to get? Probably not. Um, so maybe you don't need to spend money on that. Um, another thing is what can you reduce? Like what factors should, should be reduced below the industry standard? You can't be perfect at everything. So what should you maybe spend a little bit less time on? And then it gets into what, which factors should you raise above the industry standards? Um, I mean, I would argue for a lot of fuel and sea stores, probably you should raise the uh, cleanliness and the restrooms above the industry standard. That definitely helps. But then finally, like, what can you create? Um, what is something you can create that isn't even being considered right now? And I know the K- Wawa has been offered as an example of a company that went through a blue, a blue ocean shift. Um, and for them, it was, all right. They were good for fuel, they had some good food service, and they were great on convenience store items coming out of the recession. But they made a fundamental shift, and it's not that they just happened to be a gas station with food. Now they are a quick service restaurant that happens to sell fuel and some convenience store products. I mean, it may sound like the same thing to some people, but it's fundamentally different, and it feels different to consumers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what you've seen. I think you've seen a shift from a lot of the the, the people in our industry that do do things very well, you know, sheets, Wawa, quick trip, stuff like that, where it's, it's different. You know, they, they took the model and they kind of shook it up and said, like, like so many, okay, quick trip, as much as I hate them because they're 800 pound in the gorilla, I can't help but, but respect the hell out of them and love them for what they've done is there are many grocery store that just so happens to sell gas. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they've really kind of read, redone the way people think um the industry is and, and how it should be yeah they um so you know i'm in des moines iowa of course and they're building all over des moines right now they they usually didn't seem to come further south than about 45 minutes north of us it you know that's about as far south as they built but now they're all over des moines and um it's been so interesting to see people i know how their purchasing behaviors change uh my own dad and stepmom their fridge now is full of quick trip uh milk eggs all that um they i mean they really run a great store. Customer service is great. Yeah. It's um so I I got asked though because I'm curious. One of the things that Al and I have gotten a lot of questions from listeners about is um what what can you do to um you know just execute effectively consistently with your employees on a daily basis? Like how do you how do you build just how do you build the right structure? How do you keep everything consistent? Like what have you mentioned that you changed your hiring process. You changed a lot of how the store operates. What what have you found that's working really well for you? Well, and I'm kind of in the, the middle of this process right now as I look to expand. And, you know, my I, I always use my dad in an example is where he, when I was a kid, had multiple stores. But he didn't have the right infrastructure and the people in place. And it was impossible to run. You know, when you're a small family business, you, you can't do it all. You just can't. Him and my mom could not handle it all. And so as I look to expand, I think it really starts with, um, you know, creating the culture, but finding the right people um, that are out there. And it's a very hard labor market, especially when you've got big people offering $16, $17 an hour. But I've looked to go after, um, 
I guess, to set a system up in place where a store manager can oversee the man, the, the store can oversee their employees where they're hiring the right people. And I give them a series of questions to ask just to, questions that are so far out there, but where we're getting a better viewpoint of somebody than, okay, can you add, can you say hello? What's your work experience? Things as simple as, okay, what, what do you consider your spirit animal to be and why? Um, because if I have somebody that says, well, I'm a cat because I'm lazy, they're not going to fit in by me. You know, that, it's <laughs> yeah. just because it, people will answer and not know the why behind it, but will be very, or if I have somebody who says I'm a lion, okay, that's great. Um, manager, you understand that they're going to be a very strong personality. It's good, but here's how you're going to have to lead them. And I, it starts with a lot of leadership in terms of my managers. I, I've given them. I forget the name of the book off the top of my head. It's by the guy that wrote five love languages, but it talks about the different personality types in a cartoon book um, in the workplace. And I think that to build the right infrastructure to grow a business, you have to have the right people. You got to have the right people on the bus and the right person driving the bus. And when I can train my managers to understand um people's personality types, their strengths, their weaknesses. We do a little bit of all that when we hire um, to get an understanding of what that person is, how you're going to be able to lead them. Because especially when you're dealing with the younger generation, um, you almost have to cater your leadership style to each individual. Um, that's the downside of millennials and Generation Zs or whatever, is they're very entitled, yeah. independent people. They're not the sheep that our parents were and our grandparents were, where you fit into the corporate mold, you come, you, you clock out, you're done, da, 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 da. They're looking for more purpose and stuff. And so I found that, um, you know, it, it, in order for us to compete from a, a hiring standpoint and a, 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 a team standpoint, we've got to find that right person who is, um, you know, the, who isn't exactly driven by the bottom line, but wants to be a part of something. If you were to look at a lot of my staff, especially the young ones, I've got people that have been only 10 years, eight years, they're, they're a little different. Um, but I partner with a lot of the schools in career day because there's a lot of kids out there that aren't hopping into college right away because they can't afford it. They don't want to go into student debt or that feel kind of outcasted. And I found a huge market for us to hire kind of the outcast, the outcast, the, yeah. um, whether it's the, the ma, the, the, the 18 year old girl that didn't have a dad growing up or had no family structure or the, the, the punk kid that nobody gives a shot to. And they come by us because we're not corporate style. We're different. We are a family business. Um, and so they feel welcome. And then all of a sudden they grow. One of my managers started as a cashier. She was in college and she, she couldn't afford college anymore. And she this and that she was a great girl, but didn't have a home life or had some broken home situations and just kind of gravitated towards our family. And now she's going to be the manager of our new store, you know, oh, or, wow. you know, we, we, we try to kind of grow in a perfect world. You try to lead them each individually. You build a relationship with them. You give them freedom and autonomy to do things their way um, under our little structure. Um, and, you hope that that helps grow the business. And I'm learning now is, okay, I can't, I have to begin releasing some controls of what I do because it's easy when I've got, yeah, I got hands in a couple different things business-wise and things like that. But ultimately my bread and butter is the one store. Well, as I try to grow this, I have to basically duplicate myself to an extent into my manager's 
you know, when I look for a certain personality type in my manager, um, when I was hiring for our store manager, we had a manager for us for 30 plus years. She, she had a sit down family issues and it was an opportunity for me to say, okay, what do I want the future to look like? And I interviewed a bunch of different people, but I was looking for the right personality. I was looking for the right character traits. Everybody can learn to add. Everybody can learn to use a computer. Everybody can learn to hit buttons. But you, I look to hire for character. Um, and if, if you can't train character. You know, when someone's 18, 19 years old, 20, 30 years old, they've got 30 years of life that it's shaped who they are. And I try to find the right people that I know will fit with the unique dynamic that is our company. You know, when you got a family business and you got Italians running it and we're loud and we're cussing sometimes and we're doing <laughs> things that we, you know, you got to be able to understand the world that which you're working in and thrive in it and enjoy working there. And some people can, and some people can't. And just through process of elimination, we've learned, I've kind of developed certain a certain person that we look for doesn't matter if they're male, female, doesn't matter, you know, big, small, you know, whatever religion, race, creed, but that doesn't matter. It's certain character traits that we look for that, that make a solid successful employee, which ultimately helps us grow. And then allows for me to look to expand like I'm doing and know that we're creating a system that'll trickle down. You know, I guess and, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You know, one thing I think a lot of folks don't fully appreciate, though, is how much you can learn just by working in a retail job, whether you're there for three months, three years, whatever it is. Um, I mean, any sort of customer service facing role, uh, it's honestly, I feel like it helps you be a better person. You just calm down a lot and don't get as uh, upset about little things. But there's there's a whole subset of skills that you just pick up by interacting with the public on a daily basis that a lot of people don't have access to because they've never waited a table, worked at a convenience store, worked at a grocery store or anything like that. Oh yeah. I mean, you hear those, those typical, um, let me speak to the manager, you know, Karen <laughs> on steroids kind of people and, and they exist. And, um, it's, it's, you, you almost become, especially if you're there long-term and you get a store with regulars, I mean, you're like some people's basic counselor. You become their friend. You become their confidant. You become their, I mean, everything. They go to you for everything. And so you learn that, especially in a, in a store like mine where we have a, I mean, we hit every demographic you could imagine. Like you really see the real world out there. And in retail standpoint, you, you learn everybody kind of downplays retail. Like, Oh, it's entry level. You don't make money you know, all these things, but you're, you're learning so many successful life skills. Um, you know, how to communicate, how to deal, how to diffuse situations, how to be street smart, how to be aware of what your surroundings, all these things that, that are, are actually really important life skills to learn because whether you're in retail for life or you get into the real world in some other Avenue, you're still going to use these, these skills. And so, um, Anthony, yeah. do you find, uh, some of these kids come to work for you? Do you find they already have good communication skills or are you having to teach them the communication skills? Oh, it's five years ago. It was a little bit different. Now the ones coming right out of high school, there is sort of a lack of commute, lack of ability to, to have communication skills. Um, they're not used to eye contact. They're not used right. to disagreements that aren't behind a keyboard. 
their their math skills really are absolutely just awful. It's crazy. No, uh, I thought they were teaching math in school. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, they got the new version of math where you subtract to add and add to subtract. I don't understand it, but whatever. Common they, Core, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I know yeah. what you're talking about. Oh, and man. so, uh, but the cool thing is that I have seen this where if they've got the ability, mm-hmm. uh, we have seen people transform from little mice to people that are just, because I tell them, you work here, you're on stage, you're on stage in one of the busiest gas stations where you're going to be known throughout the community. You go to Walmart, you go to KFC, someone's going to say, hey, you work at Luperini's because we have so much traffic. Like, you're, you're, they, they learn what it's like to have that stage presence or to understand how to communicate to people and how to do things. And um, so we have seen great, I've seen like really cool things where somebody comes from like a mouse and doesn't know how to communicate to can have full on conversations and, you know, really, you know, interact with people and make a welcoming environment and stuff like that. And so it is a little bit different now with the generation coming out. Um, the cool thing is, is that one of the schools that I work a lot with, I'm actually speaking there on Tuesday, which is about two blocks away is a, um, it's a charter school. And they, they teach, I wish the school was around when I was in high school because I would have actually paid attention and shown up. They do things differently, like almost more of like an entrepreneurial mindset or where the kids go out into the field and do school instead of sit at a desk, told what to do, shut up, listen, write your name down, stuff like that. And so I tend to get a lot of kids from that school. Um, and then you get one or two and then their friend wants a job. And, you know, so it kind of trickles down. It's almost like a little farm system of employees. And you know that you're getting the right kind of people because, you know, you know where they're coming from, from an education standpoint. And so, um, you know, that's one of the the cool, unique things that I I found a benefit in with partnering with the local school. So for some of the retailers that are really struggling with employee quality, what what do you see are the major mistakes that that they're making? What are they getting wrong? Um, I think that they're employee their managers or them themselves as the owner is just hiring anybody we don't hire bodies my counters will hold themselves up i don't need somebody to hold them up so just setting a a standard of what you want and this is something i learned over time because we used to do that you know when i presented the business it was oh you've got experience at a speedway awesome oh you done retail okay we'll hire you and then i realized we are getting garbage you know garbage in garbage out kind of deal. Yeah. Um, and that's when I decided we want to hire for character. We'll take somebody that has zero experience because we can mold them and shape them. No one else has polluted their idea of work, work ethic, um, you know, stuff like that, or no other company has screwed up their idea of retail and things like that. Um, we did have to just to compete. Now I can't pay $16 an hour. I freaking love to. Um, but we had to up our, Hey, I mean, my payroll is up almost a hundred thousand more dollars than five years ago because we had to increase our pay to be competitive, um, which hits the bottom line. But at the same time, I had much less turnover. I think I had, I think we had 14 W2s last year compared, you know, extra employees that quit or we fired versus Mm -hmm. 40, 50. I mean, our turnover is, is relatively low compared to industry standards. You got, people in a minimum wage job that have worked for me and they're not making minimum wage anymore, but 10 years, eight years, six years, you know, I mean, it's the people that come and do the distance with us for the most part. Um, and so 
the I would say that it starts with setting the tone of who you want in your doors, what you're trying to what you're trying to attract. All right. It's like a bar. If you play a certain kind of music or have certain kind of bartenders, you're going to attract a certain kind of patron. Same thing with your business. If you have people that aren't friendly and that are on their phones the whole time, that don't care, that just are standing there collecting a paycheck, your store looks like trash. Well, you're going to attract that because somebody with money isn't want to go going to want to go there. You know, you can, you, they're just, there's natural things or they might get gas out at your pump and get the hell out of there. They're not going to come inside and buy where you're actually making money. Um, so I think it's a lot of creating a system or a structure of who you want, what your expectations are being honest and upfront. Here's the deal. Here's our expectations. I'm not going to BS you. This is the job. It's not easy. This is the pay, but here's what you do get, you know, and here's what you can expect from us as a company, as the management, as the owner, um, and things along those lines. And then just how you're trying to acquire talent. You know, I found that the, the, because I had an in with some of the schools, that's a, 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 a stream of talent that I can get through my doors. Sure, a lot of them might go to school and they might be part time, but that's OK because it attracts, you know, they're you're, you're you're doing something more than just keeping your doors open. You're contributing to the community. You're helping a, a kid learn life lessons. You're doing all these things. And so um, that trickles down all the way to the bottom line because your store looks better, your customer happy, your employees are happy, you know, all that kind of deal. So I do have to kind of switch gears on a somewhat related subject though. Um, I want to go back to your delivery service. How's that been going for you? So it is, it, 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 it started well. Uh, what, what happened was, is, um, I, I kind of had this idea years ago. I mean, I started this like eight years ago. I was at the gym, it was snowing and I'm, running on a treadmill i see this old lady with two bags going to a walgreens next to the gym in the middle of a snowstorm and i just thought well this lady should not have to leave her home like somebody we should just be able to bring this to her and so i started this delivery service and it was like i mean it's been paint by numbers where it was like here's a a phone number and we'll give you a menu and you can just try and we tried to just put it all together and then i revamped it to where they could order online and we created an online store and it began to pick up and, and pick up. Um, and now we're, we haven't launched it yet. They just downloaded the new beta mode for me to check out. But we have an app coming where you can order on your app, on an app. And boom, we'll be there in 45 minutes. So it has increased over and over. Um, at first, when I started it, I thought I was going to get just quick deliveries. Let me get a bag of Cheetos, a Mountain Dew, and a pack of smokes. But it turned into like all these old people kept using it and were buying $100, $200 a pop. I mean, our average wow. delivery ticket wow. is $70. I mean, people are buying. $70. Wow. Yeah, they're buying. Wow. They're doing like mini grocery shopping. Well, some people still do that with us because of the loyalty card and they get money back and all these things. But you then over the last real two years, you see a lot of the grocery stores doing it. Then you got your Instacarts and all these things that are they're coming to the market. So that's when I decided to go the app route to really try and get the younger uh, millennial college kid, Generation Z, or that'll say, hey, you know what? I, to be honest, I got a lot of it from GoPuff, you know, and I just saw they got a $750, uh, you know, investment from SoftBank. So they're doing something right um, where I, I still have this ability to order online or to call, but we really want to go after these small purchases, multiple small purchases. So you know, when the kids are at the local college and they don't have a 
car on campus, we can come to them real quick. And, you know, they can just order while they're in class and things like that because everybody, I mean, Domino's isn't a pizza company. They're a technology company that just slings pizza. You know, I mean, that their app changed their whole business model. And so that's where we're at now with the app is trying to, um, you know, use it to, to reach another demographic to grow quantity and, and, and the amount and ultimately deliver later and things like that. Um, so it's been a process. It's been a very long process. I did it well before a lot of these other things even existed in a very just archaic way. And it's, it's increased. I mean, we get a lot of it is weather-based, especially up here in Wisconsin. Oh, uh, you know, if they, on a slow day, you'll get five to six deliveries on a high day. You might get 20 of them. Um, it just depends. And what I've found we're able to do is because I'm not, and because we're slow, like I said earlier, during the winter, because I'm on Lake Michigan and people aren't coming into the lake like during the summer, um, it allows me to offset some of that slow time and still give people hours because they're not independent contractors. They're a cashier that takes one of our vehicles. They got a good driving record. They're clear to drive. They're taking an insured vehicle from the business and they're making the delivery. Um, so it keeps people employed and gets them doing stuff where we might be slow and they're standing around looking for things to do. I can send them on a delivery. Um, and so that's kind of where we're at right now. It's, it's not to the point where I have a full-time driver. I'm hoping that this app is going to change that and that I'll have a full-time employee that is at the store, but is designated on that day to take the deliveries, take the vehicle, but at the same time, bring people up, stock the shelves. And my employees like it because it gets them out of the mundane day-to-day stuff. They're not just sitting there dealing uh, with customers behind a register, stocking a cooler. It lets them get away. You know, it's almost like a little mini break, you know, where they can yeah. go and they smoke in the car. I don't care. And, you know, they get a break. So they, you know, they quickly, you know, take this delivery. They get to check their cell phone because I don't let them do that during the shift and stuff like that. So um, it is a work in progress. It's – I – it, the app has taken longer than I'd like, but that's because um, I didn't use an app developer. I got quotes from these app developers and it was upwards of 20000 $30,000. And, you know, and some companies do it where, you know, you can use their app and deliver all these different things or try and partner with Uber Eats and they take all your profits or whatever. Um, I partnered with the local college and they have an app factory there. And so some college kids are doing it for, pennies compared to what I would have had to pay. Um, and so it's taken a little bit longer on that side. Um, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to go and risk the money. I was trying to litigate some of the risk here by saying, okay, let's crawl. This whole process has been crawl, walk. And now once the app is done, run with it. And so that's kind of where we're at. See, I think that whole story is fascinating because a lot of, uh, a lot of single store operators or small chains, I don't think feel like they have access to that kind of technology. Like that's something that can be in their wheelhouse, but here you just went to a college and had students develop it. Yeah. And it cost me literally a 10th of what I was quoted. Not now. And at the same time, it took a while and it's not perfect and there's going to be kinks and I'm going to have to put some more money into it once it's fully launched and we work out the kinks. But Overall, it made more sense for me than spending thirty, forty thousand right away for something that I'm not sure. You know, yeah. it, it it could be a fad. It could go away. It might not be profitable. People might just not use it. You know, it just depends on. 
And so I decided to be a little more cautious with it and take my time with it. I'm going to bet that uh, there's a lot of colleges that will do that for people. So it's a really good tip for uh, independent owners out there who are listening who may want to take this to the next level and get an app. Check the college. Yeah, I mean, you can – and especially now ours is a little more intensive because there's a whole online ordering platform on there and inventory and pricing and all, you know, the checkout systems. But, I mean, you can get an app nowadays. Just the general gas prices, what we do, coupons, mobile coupons, stuff like that for – it ain't that expensive. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's worth the investment, um, you know, especially if you have multiple stores under one brand or whatever the case may be. So – I want to switch gears here slightly too. Um, one thing I'm curious about your thoughts on is cannabis and CBD. Um, we got to bring this up because there, you do have your own your own rolling papers. I've seen, <laughs> yep. so so we totally got to bring that up. But I'm curious about two things here. One is, you know, so with with CBD, um, I guess I'm personally kind of worried that it it could go the route of the supplements market where you it's hard to trust anything you're buying. Um, there's been some brands that have not been particularly truthful about um, how much CBD is in their product, or if any is for that matter. Um, and at the same time, I think it's easy to overestimate what it's going to do. If Aunt Sally hears that she can rub uh, some CBD cream on her hand, it's going to help with her arthritis, um, but the dosage is real low and she spends all this money and it does nothing, it's going to be hard to keep her as a CBD consumer. Um, I guess maybe that's a good spot to start. Like, I know you sell CBD. How has that gone for you so far? All right, well, let me be fully transparent here. Last night, I smoked a joint with my loose rolling paper and enjoyed some whole whole cake. I am a very big <laughs> advocate. I am a very, very big advocate pro-marijuana. Um, in fact, I am a part of a group that um, is pushing it here in Wisconsin. I'm speaking at a CBD weed conference here in Milwaukee, the first one they're ever doing uh, in about two weeks um, from the possibilities of a retail standpoint. And so I have business interests um in the legalization of recreate uh, medicinal here in wisconsin and then eventually recreational so from that standpoint um the cbd thing um i think there's a lot of snake oil out there i think cbd everybody and their mom got into it everybody got excited everybody thinks it's this uh, miracle drug or pill or cream or tincture or whatever we sell it it does okay. It doesn't do great. It's not. It's not a. It's not a must fill every week kind of deal. Um, I haven't. I brought in a couple different brands. A lot of them have been not good. Um, and I finally I use EB Brown as a wholesaler, and they you know brought in two solid companies. And um, you know a lot of the. So I brought in the one of the brands that they brought in. I brought in a brand that doesn't look like you'd find it in a smoke shop. It's much more user friendly. It's a package. It's got the marijuana leaf on it because people just, you know, it, it kind of seems cheesy. Hemp is not marijuana. CBD is not marijuana. If you're going to use it, it's a much different kind of person looking to use CBD than is looking to use marijuana. Um, I think that a lot of people took a shot and some of them made it. And I think a lot of people are kind of, um, kind of stuck in the water because it's very oversaturated and the ones with the good product are the ones that are going to make it go the distance. The ones with the, you know, the, the, the ones selling gummy bears that have little to no CBD in it, but a little bit, those are going to go to the wayside. 
Um, I do think that it does serve some purpose. I think the CBD does help certain individuals. I think it isn't a placebo. If you get the real stuff, it will help. Um, and I just look at it as it's the beginning of what will eventually lead to the real stuff. And I think there's a demographic that will use CBD. I think the the, the bigger market for hemp and CBD is not just, okay, a tincture and food. It's making hemp paper and hemp clothes and hemp homes and all these things. I think that's, I think it has a huge future in that. I think the CBD market will calm down here if it hasn't already. Um, and you'll see more big guys getting into it. I think um, it's going to be dependent on what the FDA does. If the FDA regulates it, you're going to eliminate the bad guys. And, and have the good product out there. But like you said, if they don't, it's going to be like GNC, you know, where you can get this pre-workout pill or you can get this uh, vitamin B pill that's literally got 10% vitamin B and the rest is gelatin and filler, you know? So it's, I, I think that because it's going to be in so much of a food product, food based items. And I think because it's going to be so, I think because it's going to be so popular and because federally legal marijuana will happen in the next 10 years i think it's all going to be federally regulated and that'll help the market and at least help the, the real players stick around and uh uh you know the fugazi snake oil salesmen go to the wayside um but i'm all for it i look i you know if i sell alcohol and tobacco okay so if i can sell that i should be selling marijuana done i'll argue that till i'm blue in the face until i die that that just don't make no damn sense <laughs> because alcohol kills more people my whole whole cake is not good for your heart but i can sell that i'm just gonna be honest the diabetes association would hate me if they knew what's inside that whole whole cake but i can sell that i can sell tobacco like cigarettes that has caused massive deaths and is known to cause cancer um I think this archaic thinking of marijuana and all these stigmas, uh, the time has come for that to go away. And so I get much more passionate and I am um, working on more things with the marijuana than just hemp and CBD. Everybody and their mom that I know has is growing hemp now or has some sort of CBD product or some sort of CBD line. And, you know, my fiance and I got a salon and she's got hemp CBD hair stuff. I mean, every it's in everything now. Um, people saw the the opportunity, and everyone's trying to jump on board. I think it's slowly coming to an end now because there's so much. The market's just oversaturated. I, I was going to say, is medical marijuana legal uh, in Wisconsin? No, it is not as of right now, and that's what we're trying to push because Illinois is recreational, Michigan is recreational, and Minnesota is medicinal and pushing towards recreational. I believe. So we're kind of sandwiched between all these states and the state is missing out on a massive amount of tax revenue. Like for a guy like me down in Kenosha, I'm right on the Illinois border. So you've got residents of Kenosha that, you know, I mean, people are transporting back and forth. Like, it's just stupid. There's no reason not to legalize it, at least medicinally, mm -hmm. because just like alcohol and prohibition, Hey, I'm Italian. My people made a lot of money during Prohibition. <laughs> yeah. A whole lot of money during Prohibition. And it was all made illegally. Um, and instead, now you've got massive tax dollars created by, you know, eliminating the prohibition of alcohol. And I think that's going to be something you see here with marijuana um, eventually.
I mean, honestly, it's at the point now where it's harder to make the argument against it than it is for it. Um, I, I always say it's like all these naysayers on cannabis. Um, anyone who wants it already has it. Hate to break it to them. Um, it is <laughs> yeah. so widely available. If, you know, someone our age, if you don't, if you don't have the ability to call someone and get that within an hour, you literally just don't know anybody. You don't have any friends. Yeah. Every Everybody who wants it currently has it. So the question is, all right, would you rather make some tax money off of this? Would you like your schools to get more money? Because um, it's being sold right now. And it's this is a big problem for us in Iowa. I don't know what the hangup has been, but I look at the situation and see that our state universities are underfunded. The state doesn't want to pony up and pay for our world, world, world-class universities, uh, for whatever reason, you know, cause education is such a terrible thing. Um, <laughs> like, Hey guys, here's an answer that's staring us right in the face. But then you hear, Oh, we need to study it more. Or, um, I don't know when you're dealing with the bureaucracy of getting that stuff done, it can be a mess as I'm sure you're seeing in your state. Yeah, absolutely. And there's this, you know, Wisconsin is late to everything. I mean, that's just the nature of our state because it's the weird conservative up north, liberal down south, liberal in a college town like Madison. And, you know, there are certain people in power up here in this state that, that their base of funding is police, is the conservative church, stuff like that. And it, the arguments are really no longer there. The science is there. The proof of eliminating the, you know, there's always going to be black market, but the ability to regulate it, as much as I'm a libertarian, I freaking hate regulation. It's regulated. It's going to eliminate a lot of the the, um, the the bad players. It's going to make it more available. People are going to stop trying to go to a guy who you don't know he's in the, you know, <laughs> you don't know what, what he's giving you and stuff like that, all that kind of deal. Um, and it's, it's been proven to, um, I mean, look at Colorado, their, their, their tourism massively increased their, uh, their school funding has massively increased. And so again, you regulate it. It's not, I mean, it's just, you can't tell me any differently when you're selling to cigarettes and you're selling liquor legally. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. Like the argument just can't be valid anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't coincide with everything else that you got going on. I honestly think some of the naysayers just need to go visit, um, go visit a couple dispensaries and just get a tour and see how they operate. Um, because I, I think it's one thing to hear about States that have legalized this, but I think it's another thing to actually see how these businesses operate and realize that they're very clean cut. They're nice. They're nice buildings. They're, they're well staffed. They have good, you know, good employees. Uh, the businesses have good curb appeal. Um, like if you go around Seattle, if you go around um, re- really anywhere that's done this, um, there's not a lot of stigma attached to those businesses and those communities. And I think there's a fear from some folks that it's just going to be like, and it sounds mean, but a lot of homeless and hipsters um, just hanging around yeah. the building. And that's not the case. If you look at the parking lot, it's business professionals, it's your neighbors, it's it's normal people that consume that product. Um, I, I think we're so, fa- so far past the point where you can get upset about it. it, it it's just kind of a no-brainer. Agreed. And I, yeah. I, I think that eventually you'll see, you'll see a massive, a massive switch in, in thinking here eventually. And it's just, you know, it's one of those things too, where it helps the individual state 
you know, you give the states the freedom, you let the state decide what they want to do. You let counties decide and some opt in, some opt out. Okay. There's still dry counties out there. You know, I mean, I, there's still places where you can't get, you know, liquor on Sundays, whatever. Okay. Let, but give people the freedom or the opportunity to get it legally and safely versus, um, the black market and, and let the states and the businesses, let the market dictate and, and, produce taxes and everything else the way the system's supposed to work. <laughs> you know, so, just... so one thing I've got to ask, so beyond, beyond cannabis, which I you know you're really passionate about, what, what are some other topics that you're following very closely uh, throughout this year? Well, I think, you know, you have to, if you're in business, no matter who you like, and I hate them all, <laughs> not hate them all, but dislike both parties, essentially, you got to pay attention to politics. You got to see, you know, the, everybody was getting antsy with the Iran situation a couple of weeks ago because nobody knew what the oil market was going to do. Um, you know, you got to keep an eye on this election. Actually, it's very, could be very pivotal, pivotal, pivotal. Sorry, I can't speak. Um, you know, the economy has been good under Trump. It's been good for some, not all, and that's always going to be a thing. But um, a majority of people have seen a, a better lifestyle um, based off of Trump, even though he says and does some things. It's like, what? And, you know, you're not on TV anymore, but uh, you're a politician, you're the leader of the free world. Um, but you could drastically see changes in the, in the way the whole business world operates. If you get somebody like a Bernie Sanders or a Elizabeth Warren, um, and you don't know the lengths of what those, those programs, which valid for some, not going to disagree. Some sound great, but it's going to affect business some way, somehow. Um, and so that's something that I hold kind of close to home is keeping eye on, um, you know, what's happening, uh, not just from a federal level, but also a state level um, in terms of politics. I think this the cigarette thing is absolutely asinine and crazy. Um, and I, I, I get the reason behind it. But if you think you're going to stop 18 year olds from getting cigarettes, it's like stopping the guy that wants weed to getting weed. It's not going to happen. You know, I mean, it's just. Well, I think the change in age. The change in age was just a really good business opportunity for everyone's older brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All of a sudden, that kid in college became an entrepreneur, you know, because the junior at college now can buy cartons of cigarettes and distribute them for, you know, double the street value. And it's just, uh, and it's, I don't know, I think that's going to, I, 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 Full transparency. I don't smoke. My fiance does. I hate it. I, I give her a hard time about it all the time. I don't like cigarettes, but I think taking away people's freedoms to choose to smoke cigarettes while all at the same time being worried that they're going to get the war with it, having the ability to join the military and go risk their lives is just asinine to me. It, it's crazy. Um, and so I think it's going to be interesting to see how that all pans out. And, you know, even from a standpoint of I went to 21. Now, uh, yes, I heard the news, the FDA announced it, but the state, you know, there's a lot of gray area right now. I know people that still haven't gone to 21 in Wisconsin because they don't know. Like, I I didn't want to. I waited until I felt like, okay, you know, I don't want to get pinched here. I don't want to, you know, stir the pot on this one, even though I think it's absolutely crazy. Um, So I think that's a, 
that's an issue for the industry that will be affecting things. Um, you know, and just seeing what happens with, uh, you know, even some of these things as simple as the, the electronic, the, the EV charging stations on, you know, public property or whatever, or whatever it is, you know, where, um, what, what direction the, the country is going to go on pushing EV full transparency. Me and my fiance have a Tesla. I'm on a gas station and I have a Tesla. It made economic sense. I also have a gas guzzling truck at the same time. I love Tesla. I love electric vehicles. Um, I'm not against them, but seeing what happens where it's a free market for everybody to participate um, versus, you know, picking and choosing winners and, and who's going to benefit from these opportunities that EV gives is, is an issue um, because, I don't know. I know they're popular in certain areas of the country, but we see a lot of, a lot, a lot of them coming to Wisconsin. And there's a ton of them now. And so it's becoming more popular of a vehicle and seeing what the ramifications uh, uh, or what the, the infrastructure is going to be for people to drive these things as they would drive a vehicle and be able to fill up and, and charge and whatever the case may be. So, yeah, we were talking about the cyber truck on our last episode. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm one of those guys that I mean, I'll drive a car until I can't drive it anymore. I just hate spending money on vehicles. Um, it's been hard hardwired into me, which is funny because I actually really like cars. But um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I've rented so many for travel. It just it loses um, kind of loses its uh, appeal. But I got to say, the Tesla Cybertruck, I haven't wanted a vehicle like that. And as long as I can remember, I would love to get one of those. Um, it looks like it came straight out of Blade Runner and Total Recall. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. And I, I'm one of the whatever it was, two million people that put $100 down just to try and save a spot. So I hope it does come out, too, because I would love to have one of those things. I just, um, you know, there is there is something that, that that vehicle, I don't know if you've ever ridden in one. It's amazing. I mean, there is a massive difference. I'm not a car person. It's really my fiance's car. She's had a Tesla before. She loves it. Um, we have like electric in the home so she can charge it at home versus just using a station. Um, and, but she does a lot of driving. It's, it's phenomenal. I mean, it really is a, it's a nice ride. And so, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just got to see what happens. You know, there's a lot of, there's still a massive amount of work that Tesla has to do before gas stations are ever worried about going out of business. You know, I mean, we're talking quite some time. Um, but I think that, you know, I think the government's going to start trying to put infrastructure in place for these vehicles, um, just based off of, um, climate change and things like that. Well, Anthony, how far, um, can your, uh, can your Tesla go before it has to be charged again? So ours gets about 221 miles. Um, so uh, there's ones out there that can get up to 300 and something. Um, we did buy, there's a, actually, it's a great used market for Teslas. We got a nice used one. Um, my fiance found a great deal on one and not many miles. And um, So ours doesn't get as many miles as the other ones do. But even at 300, you know, it's not 300 miles you still can't take it without fully planning a trip with charging stations along the way. I, you know, it would be hard for me to come out to you in Iowa, Frank, you know, because mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know where the charging stations are and then the time factor and things like that. So, um, yeah, that's, 
for us, we charge it about every other day. It depends because we have this salon that's about 30 miles north from our home. We got the gas station that's 30 miles south from the home. Mm. You know, depending on how much driving we do during the day in that vehicle, we could have to charge it every day, if not every other day. Yeah, I think something I'm waiting to see how it plays out, especially when this Tesla uh, Cybertruck comes out, is how that's going to change people's perceptions of what you buy for a performance vehicle. I mean, you know, we're both here in the Midwest, and um, I mean, there's 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 people I've known who have spent well, you know, well in thousand, twelve hundred. 1300 and up per month on a vehicle, which seems absolutely silly to me, but they're getting these <laughs> mat, these high performance trucks that are like luxury vehicles. Now, mm-hmm. um, you know, guys driving around in a Ford Raptor, for example. Um, but that Tesla Cybertruck, that higher end model has some serious performance stats behind it. That oh, is, yeah, yeah. that's a powerful vehicle. And I wonder how that's going to change people's perceptions. Cause I, I've, I've seen some naysayers on it. Um, some truck guys, but I'm like, when that th- when that thing comes out and it outperforms these seventy eighty thousand dollar trucks that they're that they're driving, um, I don't know. I just wonder what that's going to do. Yeah, as long as you don't get a pebble through the windshield, you'll be fine in that uh, Tesla truck. <laughs> the, uh, but even you know, I'm in Wisconsin. It snows a lot. My fiance's Tesla. She just got these snow tires on. It drives better than my Ford pickup. It drives much better than my four by four four wheel drive pickup. You know, I mean, these, and it's a, it's not an all wheel drive Tesla. It's, I think it's real wheel drive or whatever. So, you know, when we paid, she got it, she paid, she got it used, but she paid less than 40,000 for it with very little miles on it. I mean, it's, is it the Tesla serves, and this is a car, it's a model, what is it, S or whatever, I forgot what she's got. Um, but it, serves better than this pickup truck that I have in a state where you usually need massive amount, big trucks just to, to move around, you know, in the winter and stuff like that. And so, um, I can't wait to see what that truck can do then, because if this car with snow tires is a beast, I can't wait to see what that, uh, <laughs> that, that truck straight out of Minecraft looks like. <laughs> hey, so as, no, so, well, I was going to say, as we start to wind down a little bit, um, one thing I kind of wanted to get your your thoughts on um, I've, I've heard, I've heard a number of conversations around technology in the industry. You know, now it's 2020, it's kind of symbolic looking forward into this new decade. Um, just what the store of the future is going to look like uh, for retailers. And I've heard a lot of the same opinion that what's available to the 500 store chains of the world is not what's going to be on the plate for the small guys um, that there's going to be, really kind of a, a divergence of store models. Um, one of the things, uh, about this that I find interesting is I think a lot of folks, they, they think that innovation only has to come from technology. They think it's about creating a loyalty app. It's about doing this. Um, but I don't think technology is going to fundamentally fix a bad retailer. It's going to enhance an already good one. So as you look forward to this decade, what do you think the real opportunities are for, for the smaller retailers to stand out? Like where should they be putting their focus? I think much like you see other retail brick and mortars, you got to go experience based. Um, you know, I, I, I agree. It is nothing more than frustrating for a guy like me to go to NAX and see all this cool technology and know I'm about a hundred store short from ever being able to touch it. And so 
there are certain things I'd love to implement. Like even just take my app, right? I couldn't pay for the big dogs to build it. So I had to go a different route. Um, so in terms of the future for the independent guy, I think you're going to see a lot of guys getting away from being branded. I think that pigeonholes you, uh, from being able to be unique and, um, different, uh, and creating your own brand, creating your own experience. That's, We'll never be branded in a million years. No matter how much money somebody tries to throw at us, we're going to stay Luperini's and unbranded. Um, I think the the way the stores look and operate and function um, is something that an independent guy can can do and do well. Again, there's things that I can do that a big guy can't because there's too many chains of command to go through, whether it's from bringing in a new product to offering a different kind of service. And so I think the little guy has to continue to stay nimble. I think uh, doing more with less, um, you know, there, there's kind of this coolers take up a lot of space, but this is kind of my viewpoint on things. And I could be a hundred percent wrong, but the new store I'm building is much smaller than my current site, but with a different kind of shelving and a different kind of floor layout set aside from what my vendor's going to tell me who's backed by Mars and Wrigley and going to tell me I need X amount of, chewing gum to be successful if i can take my own data and i can rearrange the store way i like it i can have a smaller footprint and still produce um amount of sales and everything else and so making it easier for the consumer to shop you know almost like that that attempt walmart did is like a smaller scale store with their top moving items stuff like that i think less is more um different food service offerings, getting more hyper-local is another easy way for independence to, to survive. Um, guaranteeing that, you know, I sell pumpkins in October and they come from the local pumpkin farm. You know, this is something that we do. It's a partnership we have. Um, and, and finding ways to utilize, utilize who you are in the community you're in. You know, I think that's, really one of the the easiest things that an independent guy can do because yes we can afford the million dollar marketing campaign we can afford the um some can god bless them good for you i can't and so i gotta be creative i gotta be unique to who i am uh we can't afford the cadillac of backroom softwares because it's geared more towards a multi-store chain and and, uh, and it's got a massive cost every month okay well what other options are out there can you go and find somebody to develop a software that is, you know, unique to you, but, you know, like I said, partnering with colleges, things like that. Um, but I think everything is experiential. I think everything is going that way. You see Under Armour having stores where they're not even selling anything or whatever it is. They just got an experience. Here's what it looks like. Here's what you can do. Um, finding unique ways. We brought back full service last month where, it's not the guy that's going to sit out in the, the, the little kiosk there like my grandpa used to do and wash your windows and check your oil. But now you can pull up to a pump, call us, and we'll come out, pump your gas, and grab you anything in the store. Now, now there, there's a phone number they call for that. Is that correct? Yeah. So there's a sign on my pump, and it tells them, call this number. Love it. Thing in the store. I got a commercial. My, my fiance and, and, and stepdaughter are the cool. stars of this. It'll be on social media, hopefully on Monday. Uh, but we made a little commercial talking about it. And um, again, that's something I can offer. Everybody legally has to do it in the state of Wisconsin if you're disabled or elderly. You legally have to, but you legally don't have to service the mom with two kids crying in the or the guy that doesn't want to get out of the car because it's cold, you know, those kind of situations. And so we're going to try. And it doesn't cost me much. 
it's going to cost me all in about $2,000 to try this service, this experience. If it works great, if not, I've lost $2,000 on a Super Bowl before. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> so uh, I'll figure it out, you know. Um, so I would say that's it. Just um, being quicker to see, you know, quicker to bring in new products, um, doing less with more. Um, I think you're going to see a shift. I see it in Kenosha, just in my city alone. There are six or seven sites that were major BP, Sitco, Shell, and are now independent. Um, now, I think that if you do go independent from a big brand, you better brand yourself pretty well um, because people do find security in that kind of thing. So, um, you know, you got to brand yourself well. And then I was just offering another, a, a better experience um, and, and finding those those avenues that, you know, th- those those up and coming technology companies that maybe aren't there yet, but they're willing to take a shot on you for a 10th of the cost or whatever that may look like. Yeah. And I think that really gets into the power of branding in general, which I know is something you're really passionate about. It's, um, I mean, we've joked about this on the show before, but I mean, I've seen bumper stickers for Bucky's in Des Moines, Iowa. The closest one is I think in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, I mean, yeah, Bucky's is the best. I mean, Bucky's is a beast, and they're not a 500 store chain, but they are a big dot, and they just do it so well. They that little beaver is uh, is a monster. <laughs> he is. I mean, I'm saying that right now. I've got their coasters on my uh, desk right here. Um, I actually got my wife. Um, I'm 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 the cook, you know, in the house. I, I do all the cooking, but I wanted her to feel included, so I got her a because uh, I have my own apron. I got her a Bucky's apron when I was there recently. Nice. And, uh, she thought it was a cool thing. We have, we have a Bucky's Christmas ornament on our tree. It's, they, they have built one of the, the most powerful brands I've, I've, I've ever seen. But I think a lot of people misunderstand what branding is about. They, they think you just gotta change the logo on a store or, um, you know, sometimes folks, I think overestimate the value that their logo is currently providing. You know, what is your brand? What does your brand even mean? Um, you've got folks that don't even read the online reviews that are left about their stores. Um, and they'll say they have a powerful brand, but it's like, yeah, have you seen what people are really saying about you online? That's your brand, not yep. not what you're saying it is. And you hit it right on the head there. It's one of those things where, so when I took over the business from my dad, our online reviews were awful. And we still get some bad ones once in a while. You can't control everybody. But that was a huge focus of mine was, you know what? Sure, we might be a staple in the community, but this is what people are saying and it's affecting us. And so that was part of my shift from changing the people I hire, getting the right culture. Before someone's going to put a Bucky ornament onto that tree of theirs, they need to have had such a good experience and consistent experience at Bucky that they feel this is my place. I love this place. I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm going to like the people that stuck up with me, stuck up for me when that lady tried blasting me about the, 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 the Elfie threesome. Whatever, <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah. It, it's a process that doesn't happen overnight and it starts with culture and intentionality and hiring the right people and then offering those experiences that are consistent. You know, it's, it's, and it's hard to do, especially as you grow I can't fathom the, the headaches I'm going to have just going to two stores, let alone 10 stores and then 500 stores. I mean, it gets harder as you go. So when you get a kudos again, as much as I hate giving them credit, you get a company like Quick Trip that can manage that so well at a 500 store chain. That's who us independents should be looking at. Not these guys with 10 BPs or whatever, but look at those guys. Not that that's a bad thing, but really take a look at those those Quick Trips 
that the Wawa way. It's one of the books I read and was like, holy shit, I need to really take this in and, and ingrain this into my DNA because it's so valuable. Um, you know, you take True Kathy's Chick-fil-A model, get better and you'll be forced to get bigger. Don't just get bigger without, you know, if you get better, you'll have to get bigger. And, um, so yeah, and I think that all pays into branding and the process and creating the experience and, and creating fans. I, I teach my staff. It's just something that I have. It's a, um, getting customers in the, it's like dating. All right. You get one night stands. They come in, they pump gas, they hit it, quit it, and they're gone. All right. Then you get that one that's casually dating you. They come in once in a while. You go to dinner. You have a nice time. They come in once in a while. They get an experience. They, they like it. You know, they might not be in the area. They might go somewhere else, but you know, they're, they're, they're at least kind of casually dating you. Then you get those ones that are in a committed relationship. Those are your ones that come all the time. Um, you know, they see you once a week, twice a week, but ultimately we want marriage. We want to marry our customers. We want them to be loyal to us so that no matter what, through thick or thin, they back us so that when they have a poor experience, they've had so many good ones that they are still loyal, that they don't break. They don't get a divorce from us. They're loyalty members. They're in our system. They share our stuff on social media. Um, and I think that is something that, that, that the independent guy can really focus on and, and have a much more on the ground approach because guys like me see my customers. My managers know my customers by name. You know, that's the kind of the feel that's a simple experience that can help you grow. At least that's what I'm, that's what I shoot for. I guess, you know, we don't execute it all the time perfectly. I'm not going to lie, but we try. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm curious. So, um, I've been in a number of conversations with some small chains or independent operators where I think they feel they feel helpless. They they feel like what's you know what's in the wheelhouse of these larger brands is so overwhelming compared to what they have access to that they they think their only option is to um, shave a few cents off on a gallon of gas or sell cigarettes a little cheaper or you know just kind of nickel and dime their way to success. And you know some of these folks may own ten or fifteen sites, so it's not like they don't you know, know what they're doing. They're obviously successful, but I get the sense of like helplessness. So, you know, we listen to you and you're so excited about, I'm going to swim, swim in my own blue ocean. I'm going to do my own thing. What do you, what do you think keeps people from trying that? Is it just fear? I think it is fear. I think it's the, 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 um, you know, a lot of guys, I am, I am blessed to have the opportunity where I have good employees that have been with me for a while. I've gotten two good managers that I've trained up and even though I am the owner, my mom and dad are still around the business, you know? So I'm in a certain situation where I can kind of dream big and think big and I can get away and be a part of next and go to the show and do all this and be a part of the lobbying group and, you know, day on the Hill kind of stuff. I would say that it's worth the money to, to overstaff a little bit so that you can take, you can take the time to think big and to think creatively and to come up with an idea or something that your local competitors aren't doing that you can do. And to just take a shot, you know, everybody thinks, uh, you know, when I tell people what my app costs me, they're like, what? But I got to tell them, you know, I, I've been working on it for a year and a half. It's not there yet. It's not going to be perfect, but it really, didn't, it's not, it's not a high cost entry. It's not a high uh, cost of entry, you know, to get into that. Um, same with, the, the full service or the delivery service. These aren't really true high cost of entry items. 
it might not be exactly what you want it to be, but you got to take your shot. Cause if you're sitting there, trust me, I complain a lot. I might be positive right now, but I bitch and moan. Like when I'm like, man, these guys are 10 cents less than us. What, but hardship creates, uh, you know, and, and you know, hardships create opportunity. You know, if, if you didn't have it and life was easy, you would have no reason to compete. It doesn't, you know, you don't create ideas. So, um, it is very, very difficult. If you, I, I, it's very hard unless you come in cash heavy and own a piece of property or do whatever to get into this kind of industry. And it's a pennies game. Um, and you know, you get nickel and dime for everything. It is hard. It is very, very hard, but it is doable. And I think it's just constantly thinking, um, what is that? What do the big boys do that works well? And what can I do that they can't do? And how can I try to mimic and copy and create my own based around what they're doing? You know, it's kind of interesting about the independent owners like you, uh, Anthony, is <clears throat> I talk to so many people who've got a, a great product like you've got the ho-ho cake that came from their mom or came from their grandmother. And I think that's one of the things that really sets apart stores like yours from the big chains. Uh, nothing at the big chains comes from someone's grandma, you know, or it comes from their mother's kitchen. And I got to tell you, I mean, you know, you're so successful with the ho-ho cakes. Uh, there's there's people all around the country who are, who are cooking things that their grandmother, their mother made. And I think that's a real difference when it comes to, uh, you know, things that get people in the store that, that that's just very unique about the independent owner. Yeah, and I think especially with items like that, the, the easiest way to get them off the ground is to, it goes back to what Simon Sinek said. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. Tell the story. That's why branding and marketing. So it's just telling a story, you know, what, what, how you use social media, how you communicate your brand, how you, you create your brand is based off of just telling the why, why do you exist? Why should somebody come by you? What is the reason? Because people love that story of my mom started this because I was a fat kid eating holes in the back yeah. of the office and she made a cake. Like yeah. that's a, that's a why. There's a family history there. That's why I went the way I did with branding us. Um, and so many people have that story. There are so many single store operators who's like me. Grandpa was pumping gas and washing windows. He was working at a mattress factory. He's an Italian immigrant, just trying to make the American dream. My dad enters the business. My mom applies and works at the gas station. My parents meet washing windows and pumping gas. They've been together ever since. I met my fiance at my business. You know, like you try to tell those little stories because it's part of who you are. And it's, yeah, I sell gas and cake and, and cookies and cigarettes. But why I exist is so much more. And people connect with that. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful message. And I, you know, as I look at some of these brands that struggle with it, I think there's, there's so many that have untapped brand equity, but they, they kind of need to like, heard this, heard this, I think it's Ernie Harker who said it, if, if anyone doesn't follow him, you definitely should, uh, great guy on branding. Uh, you know, but he said, you got to go back to like, why'd you get into the business in the first place? Like, what was the magic that was there? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to lose it over time. Absolutely. Because you get so stuck into the mundane and then you get worried about the bottom line and then you're working. And the next thing you know, you're just working in your business and not on your business. And it's so hard to keep motivated if you're working in your business every single day. You know, I mean, it's just, 
my, my, one of my suggestions to, to independent guys is I, I forced myself this year. I said, I am not going to work in my business this year. I am going to overstaff. I am going to pay too much in payroll. It's going to force me to figure out and be creative to make ends meet, but I'm not going to work a register. I'm not going to clean. I might have to once in a while, but I'm not doing that because I can't grow that way. And so when you put yourself, your back against the wall, you know, for me, if my bag's against the wall, I'm going to come out swinging. I'm going to figure something out. And I think that's how most people are. And sometimes you just got to say, okay, I am done. I have lost my motivation. If I'm in that where I've been working in my business this whole time, I'm going to try and figure this out by overstaffing, taking away some of the responsibilities I do, passing them off to somebody else, leading them. And now I can work on my business and begin to grow and get re, you know, rejuvenated, get, get excited again for why we're here, what we're trying to do. See, that's a really interesting idea, though, because I, I, I do think even if you're in an environment um, like let's go back to blue ocean, say you're swimming in a red ocean, you're in a race to the bottom. Um, it's what you know, and there's comfort in what you know, even if it's not what you want. Um, I think like even on a personal level, that's why it's so hard for people to make a big change in their lives because they may not be where they want to be, but that's what they know. And discomfort can even be comforting sometimes, you know, so that they stay there. It's, it's what's familiar. Um, yep. getting out in unfamiliar territories, really scary for a lot of people. Yep. Absolutely. And nothing great came out of being status quo. Yeah, true. <laughs> if, if, if the computer world was going to be status quo, Apple wouldn't exist. iPhones wouldn't exist. iPads wouldn't exist. They, they went against status quo. And, I, and you know, one of the books I recommend for any entrepreneur, no matter what your business is, psycho cybernetics, it sounds crazy, but I think entrepreneurs should really read it because it does kind of speak into this of, um, you're not stuck. You think you're stuck. You create the future you want. You create the, the destiny you want. It's you can do it if you believe it and want it bad enough. It's really, the foundation of this country, whether people like it or not, it's, yes, it's hard to compete when you're a small business owner with chains and big boys around you, but it's been done. You can do it. Um, and hard times create tough men, <laughs> you know, and, and tough men create simple processes and life gets better. Well, I think that's a good point to leave off. I, I know we usually ask uh, what your advice is to um, other people in the industry and also the books you recommend. But I think we've kind of touched upon that. Um, I think so. I'll just remind everyone, anything that Anthony's recommended is on the episode page for this episode on inconveniencepodcast.com. So definitely check it out. And um, But Anthony, what is the best way for someone to follow or contact you? So uh, we are on every social media that you can imagine, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook and Facebook is you can look at our business page under Lou Perini's Gas and Grocery, Twitter and IG are at Lou Perini's. Um, we are also, you know, we have our website, louperini.com. We are on YouTube and you can see some of our videos and silly things we've done on YouTube. And yeah. Yeah, well, thanks uh, Thanks for joining us. This was a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, man, you're great. It's good to talk to you again. <laughs> yeah, you too. I'm sorry I talked so long. My fiance's in the other room saying, I want to get the hell out of here. What are you doing? So <laughs> <laughs> I got to go spend some quality time with her now.